and welcome to episode 104 of Inside AgriTurf and I'm your host Chris Biddle. Now in the last episode we heard from Peter Hill about the changing shape of the UK farm machinery dealer network as the pace of consolidation continued according to the latest report which uh, Peter compiles for the Farmers Weekly. He listed the top 45 dealers by turnover all of whom had sales in excess of £30 million, with a number of dealers dramatically increasing their turnover through acquisitions. And when consolidation takes place, which you could also call shrinkage, then it leaves a number of dealers seeking a new lead franchise. Now, for another tractor manufacturer to take over that franchise is never straightforward. Other dealers may well be impacted. Allocated territories may well not fit. In short, it's like trying to complete a frustratingly ill-fitting jigsaw. So my guest today is David Hart, the Managing Director of Kubota UK in Ireland and Vice President Business Transformation for Kubota Europe. In recent years, David has had to grapple with trying to fit those pieces together when taking up opportunities to step in when a dealer has been sacked or indeed decided to change a main franchise. David, many thanks for joining me. And, you know, I found out that the collective name for a jigsaw enthusiast is a dissectologist. Who knew that? And so I guess for you, it's not so much a leisure pastime, but an essential part of growing your dealer network. So how, how do you deal with it? Yeah, that's a really good question. And for a company like Kubota, we've got a full map when it comes to our construction and, and ground scare business. But we've got gaps in the jigsaw, if you want to call it, when it comes to the agricultural area. So um, that, those are the ones that we're trying to fill at the moment. And then when you look at the other sort of side of the business, the ground scare and the construction side, what we're trying to do with those businesses is, is optimise our sales ability. And we're doing it in a sort of a long term method. So we're not trying to do stuff that's only going to be around for three to five years. We want to make sure that it's a 10 year plus change when, when we make those changes. I did actually write down here sort of a few scribbled notes, and one of the things I put down is expect the unexpected, because you get into these situations where you start talking to various people. You can even be talking to your own dealer network and, and sort of trying to develop perhaps some expansion somewhere. And then inadvertently, you can get to a situation where it can actually go backwards. You know, you've got to be so careful because especially it's, it's, it's a bit different for us as a manufacturer because we're a PLC or a traded company. We're, we're executing what a PLC company wants us to do, whereas all of our dealers are family businesses. So there's, there's more than just money uh, coming into it. It's also livelihoods of not just the dealer principal and, and the owners, no, also of all of the people that work for them. <laughs> Indeed. Um, and I guess where you replace another major franchise, as obviously happened, their territory, the territory that they've got, or they've been handling for uh, manufacturer A, and they're now taking on your franchise, may well include some of the dealers that are already dealing with you. Is that a ticklish issue? 
Yeah, and again, you've probably put it quite nicely in that it is a jigsaw that sometimes some of the pieces might have to be moved around to make the new pieces fit. So we're, we're doing a sort of a cut and shut sort of operation sometimes to try and make it work. And, and unfortunately, there are often casualties in this as well on the opposite side. I suppose the positive thing out of that sometimes is we have a bit of a circular dealer society in that most good dealers, even if they've been displaced, will often find another franchise quite quickly. So obviously it's not perfect for the other dealer but or the dealer that's having to do that. But I would say the good thing, especially in the, the way that we're struggling for staff nowadays, I would say manufacturers are, are looking for new opportunities all over the place. So when you do appoint a new dealer who may well have been handling a major franchise, let's say a tractor franchise, certainly, um, what are the first steps that you will have to look at as a manufacturer in order to support the dealer? Yeah, I mean, the first thing is is training and, and it goes all of the way from sales through service and into parts because they've been used to a, a certain product and, and they're not all of the same. So we have to go through that process pretty quickly. And, and that also leads on to staff retention a bit in that the, the bigger the brand, the more loyal some of the staff are to the brand. And you've probably seen it yourself, Chris, that, that people move with the brand rather than stick with the dealer, which is just human nature, I guess, in some respects. So one of the first things that you need to do as a manufacturer and as the dealer that is um, dealer owner or dealer principal that's taken on the new franchise is to make sure that they retain their staff and and bring them into the family, if you want to call it. And I suppose there are individuals that have been with that particular brand, the previous brand, man and boy, and are very difficult to convert, shall I say. Do you find that there is something of a churn of employees with new dealers, maybe replacing them with, oh, I don't know, people who have worked for a dealer holding your franchise previously? Uh, yeah, it works both ways in some respects. I mean, if if you're replacing another manufacturer, then, you know, sometimes the people move to the dealer that's basically got the previous franchise. And then in the opposite direction, uh, you'll pick up people from the other dealership. So and it's interesting, especially across ag and, and ground care. You know, there's lots of sales and technical people that move between ground care and ag. But actually, they were quite loyal to the brand at the end of the day. And, and talking about loyalty to the brand, uh, what about the customers? Because uh, you will pick up, uh, or the dealer will pick up, say, Kubota customers, uh, but the huge rump of their customer uh, portfolio will be with their displaced franchise, won't it? So do you have a, have a role as a manufacturer to help the dealer communicate with those customers uh, to give them confidence? Yeah, and if you look at some of the global major brands, they have a loyalty with customers that probably goes beyond just the deal. And now we've got, I would say, in many industries, consolidation of customers. Actually, they're becoming sort of brand loyal because they can't afford to make any mistakes. So when the brand moves, even though they may not like it, I think quite often, 
the bigger customers will probably go with the brand. But interestingly, I think the more, I would say, traditional family type businesses will probably stay with the dealer. So I would also say that we can talk about manufacturers until we're blue in the face, but they're only as good as the dealer. So regardless of where the brand moves, if the dealer isn't doing a good job, then ultimately they'll lose the customer. So the brand can do the initial piece, but I think at the end of the day, I love the saying that's been around in the industry, we're we're only as good as our dealers. And is this slightly geographical? Because obviously the big farm area, you may be down the eastern seaboard, will probably be, it'll be harder to change. Yeah, absolutely. It's also, it's down to relationships as well, because you'll find that probably down the arable side of the country, which is to the east, those customers are less interested in having a chat with a local dealer and worried about what the next farmer down the road is doing or contractor in grounds care. Um, whereas on the western side of the country, actually getting into the community, I would say, and if you look at the dealers in, in those areas, they are part of the community. And even in, in ground care, I would say ground care generally has a bit more of a community spirit, probably, than the, the agricultural business, especially down the East Coast. And it may, of course, David, be a generational thing as well, because maybe the young and upcoming offspring, the children of a long-established farmer, may be more accepting of changes of franchises and so on. Yeah, and they, they're they in the business to put their mark on it. And it's like anybody moving job. You know, when you get a new person taking over a agricultural or a ground scare business, then they actually you know, want to start making a few decisions themselves. And it's an opportunity, especially if there's been a dealer change, and for not even the younger members of the farming and ground care community, it's even the, the older members. If, if the franchise moves to another dealer, then why not have a look, you know, another uh, franchise or another brand at that point? Where do you, you stand? Obviously, with the automobile, the car trade is very much driven by identification with the brand. Um, and it's the brand first and almost the dealer second with many of those do you see that being mirrored in the ag and grounds care or do you think it's still very important to have the uh, the name of the owner above the door in preference to your brand if you want my honest opinion i wouldn't put ourselves there really in the agricultural business so the bigger brands than us in agriculture i think the the actual brand name is is what attracts the customer but you still have to have the foundation of the dealer underneath. Yes. So I, I don't think they're buying from a specific dealer name. They're buying the brand from that dealer. I think in grounds care and if you go to the smaller companies, I think it's a different story. I think the dealer's identity is important. And if they're known in the area for quality and backup, then if you've got a lesser known brand, then actually the dealer's identity is more important then. Do you find that you've got to metaphorically hold the dealer's hand? Do you find you, yourself getting more involved in their development of your brand for the removal of, of a competitive brand? Yeah, and I think most companies now are actually 
doing some of these changes for, as I said, for 10 years and beyond. So, you know, if you have to invest for three or four years, um, and I wouldn't call it handholding because um, some of the dealers are actually very competent in selling, let's say, agricultural products. You know, and if they come to Kubota, for example, they know the market better than we do uh, in the agricultural side. But then on the flip side, they might not know the ground scare business. So you know, that's where we have to support. So it's it's a bit of a mix and match, really, when you come to that sort of thing. Yeah. Just going back to training for a moment, you've got, I'll call it a state-of-the-art training centre there at TAME. Is delivery of training getting any easier given the time constraints and so on? Are are you finding that you can deliver training more easily? Obviously, there's a lot of online training coming and I guess uh, you, like me, will say there's no substitute for actually getting your hands around something and actually doing it rather than watching the video. Uh, But are you finding any trends in that, David? Yeah, I think if you if you put it in the context of, of new dealers, I think you have to do it face to face. And that's where some of the challenges come, because you know, you're not just two or three hours up the road. You're nearly a day's traveling to get to Ireland or to Scotland. So that causes its own problems. But once you've got through that piece, then there is more online training going on. Um, it makes sense. We've probably all found ourselves in meetings and we turn the camera off and the next thing we're, you know, typing away at emails or looking at the phone. And and again, I don't blame anybody for that, but it's difficult to do that when you're sat in a classroom. So I think it's important that there's a blend of virtual training, which I think is a very positive thing with face to face I think we also need to think about how we've become a little bit more mobile as a manufacturer in delivering it in the various parts of the country without asking dealers all to come to a central training centre. Yeah, in fine, in terms of the actual technological challenge, presumably there's less sort of t- taking bits apart and putting them back together again. There's more of a modular replacement going, I guess, is there? Well, it's it's moved on even from beyond that. I think a lot of the diagnostics now can be done remotely. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it seems strange. I mean, in my previous roles where I was in you know, Ukraine and Russia and places like that, all joking aside, it would take them more than a day to get to the tractor from the dealership. Yeah. So now that you've got remote diagnostics, you can probably, I would say, diagnose what's going to be the issue before you go. And then you spend that time traveling and with the right spare parts, make the fix and come back. So the, the remote piece of it is, is definitely the way forward. And, and also preemptive um, maintenance as well, where, you know, you can use these algorithms now and AI where you see in machines, there's a bit of a theme being created that you're going to have some failures and rather than wait until it fails right in the middle of harvest, example, or if it's cutting grass, you can actually do it before they start using the product in the morning. And when you do make a new appointment, I suppose there's two issues, one of which you may impinge, and I mentioned this earlier, on a dealer, that an existing dealer of yours. So you will have to deal with that. And also, um, your range may well not uh, cover the ranges that they sell particularly in the case of harvesting equipment and so on. Is, is that an issue for many of the dealers that change over? Yeah, I think that's a that's a big one. And you know, you're then trying to put 
jigsaws on top of jigsaws because, as you know, Cavernland is part of uh, the Kubota family. Um, you know, we've got separate Cavernland dealers. Then we have Kubota implement dealers that take the hay and forage range from Cavernland, but in orange. Um, and then you get end up with over- overlaps there. So, yeah, it's a bit of a conundrum if i want to call it that that you have to go through and if you look at grounds care for example we don't do golf equipment and golf cutting equipment so we then have to see if we can help the dealer find another franchise doesn't have a conflict with us in many of the areas so they end up with a a range especially in the uk as you would know chris that we've got homeowner a residential, we've got the commercial business, you know, which Kubota is very strong in, and then we've got the golf business, you know, which we support compact tractors and, and the front mowers. But presumably also, David, you're able to offer um, some of your new dealers extra product groups that they may well not have sold before. It may well be a swings and roundabouts as far as they're concerned. Yeah, and, and also it's a bit customer segments as well. If you look at, say, the Kubota agricultural range dealers are selling into more mixed farming and livestock customers which if you've taken a dealer from say some of the other franchises they might have been mainly selling even on the west into more of the arable sort of large customer profile so that that can happen but recently we bought Gianni Ferrari and now as a Kubota dealer we're developing the range there and if you take the franchise on you know we've now got two machines in Kubota colors and obviously that's going to grow for the future so yeah and that's where some of the dealers didn't have an offering in the past. You've you've got responsibility for Europe as well aren't the issues that we say we're facing in the UK with territories mirrored across Europe? Yes, probably in some markets, not to the same level. I think some of the the larger manufacturers are picking off the bigger markets first. So if you look at France is obviously the biggest machinery market for agricultural products in Europe and then Germany and then UK. I think there's a lot of churn going on with some manufacturers that are consolidating dealer networks. And then it puts the ripple effect out there, which has actually been a benefit to Kubota, I think, in that as some of the dealer groups are growing in size, it displaces some of the medium-sized dealers that were of interest to a company like ourselves. Yeah. Do, do you get the sense that this dealer churn, the consolidation, is slowing? I guess it can date back probably, what, 15 years or so since it really kicked off. It, it gained pace. Do, do you feel that there's likely to be less sort of major churn in the future? I think there will because there has been so much consolidation, but I still see that a number of brands will consolidate more. Um, There are parts of the country where you, you, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to look and say, well, they've made all of the consolidation there, and yet I see another part of the country where there's no consolidation, and you think, if the master plan is consolidation, then obviously something's going to happen there. But you're probably getting to the stage at the 80-20 in that you, know, you can probably do 80% of it pretty quickly. But the last 20% now is is going to be difficult because the jigsaw, is it's nearly complete. 
and, and sometimes trying to move parts of the jigsaw around once it's nearly complete becomes quite difficult. So I still think there are strategies out there to, to do that, but you, you're probably going to see a, a longer period of time. You know, I don't just refer to one brand. I'm, I'm t- looking at sort of three major brands out there that are moving the parts of the jigsaw quite a lot in the last sort of two to three years. Yeah, indeed. And just looking more broadly as well, do you see any sort of trends appearing? There have been one or two manufacturer-owned uh, dealerships. Do you see that as being a future for dealers? I would say that the majority of those are in place because the manufacturer couldn't find a good privately owned dealership to look after that area Um, and over a period of time you've seen where companies in construction as well as in agriculture have invested into dealerships to the point where they're owned by the manufacturer and actually have now been divested and are back in private hands so the the problem with that Chris is that these manufacturers only have so many billions of dollars or yen or or euros to spend on manufacturing facilities to make sure that they're keeping ahead of the competition. And then if they invest money into the distribution channel, it's actually tying that money up. So I would say most of those are actually a necessity rather than a strategy. Well, look, thank you very much, uh, David. Uh, lastly, now you've been, I won't call you gamekeeper turned poacher or the other way around, but you had a senior role with uh, with John Deere and will have been very much involved in John Deere's strategy for the future, which I think we all know. And they were, of course, the instigator of a lot of the change that has gone on. Um, sitting where you do now or looking to the future, what's been the main lessons that you've learned? I think it goes back to the first, one of the first things I said is expect the unexpected because even when you're the leading brand, you'll get into these discussions and actually it will take a different course. And you can, you can have the best strategy in the world, but if the other side doesn't want to play ball, then it all comes to an end. The only thing I would say, it it makes sense for some of those companies to go that direction because of the technology that's out in the marketplace now and and the cost of some of those machines. You can't afford to have one outlet, for example, looking after a combine that now costs a million pounds because that technician or two technicians might only ever go to it two or three times and every time they go it's a new experience whereas you look at some of these super dealers that you've got now now they've got the i would say the footprint of product to actually have a group of specialists that specialize in those products we even see that with the top end of our agricultural tractor you have to have i would say more of a specialist approach to that Whereas the rest of our range is is a bit more general. And, and the good thing about they being a Kubota dealer is you don't have to be a rocket scientist to sell them and repair them. <laughs> well, look, thank you very much, David, because you must have quite a bit of experience in that arena. And uh, yeah, I mean, also, I, I worked for a, a dealer previous to yeah. joining John Deere you know, 30 plus years ago. So. I've also seen you know, the dealer side of it, and I sort of look back 
and think that the owner of the business at that time used to come in and say things to me about the manufacturer. Do they think they own us? That's how dealers unfortunately feel sometimes when they see some of this stuff going on. So really, in the old adage, you must have got a lot of T-shirts. You've seen it all. Look, David, really good to catch up. Thank you very much indeed. That most interesting sort of trawl through the uh, the franchise change. And I suppose the only uh, only const is, is change itself. It will go on and we will have to cope with it or you will have to cope with it. Yeah. Yeah. I think you've either got to embrace it or, or you end up as a dinosaur, unfortunately. Excellent. Thank you very much, David. Thank you, Chris. Well, now you know. A jigsaw enthusiast is a dissectologist. Luckily, that's unlikely to fit on David's business card, given his other roles with Kubota. But again, many thanks to him for that insight into the tricky issues that can crop up when trying to fit together all the pieces that are needed to establish a workable franchise territory for a new dealership. And as he said, it's never an exact science and always unpredictable. During our conversation, David referenced the place of AI, artificial intelligence, in predictive maintenance of machines. Without knowing it, many of us, of course, are using AI today, but what is it and how will it help organisations in the future? I wanted to know more about it. So for the next episode, I hooked up with Wesley Baker, founder and CEO of Canterbury AI, who are developing AI-driven software for companies, 90% of which are in the US. I think I understood most of it, but Wesley will peel back some of the benefits and indeed the dangers. But thank you for tuning in. I'm Chris Biddle and this is Inside Agriturf. Oh, 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 oh,